Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Hungry Takes podcast. This is Thanksgiving week, and we're doing a special episode with Joe and Matt. Hope everybody out there is going to have a great Thanksgiving. Matt, we know that this is a perfect season, perfect holiday for the Hungry Takes podcast because it combines food and sports. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no better time of the year for food and sports than the holiday season, right? And it starts with Thanksgiving. We roll directly into Christmas uh, where there's a ton of bowl games. Everybody's getting prepared for the Super Bowl. I mean, this is the perfect time of year for food and sports. Yes, and let's hop right into it with sports first and foremost. We'll come back to food later on in the show. What do we want to talk about today, Matt, as far as college football? Yeah, so we really want to just uh, debate, discuss what's going on with the college football playoffs, right? So they released their newest rankings last night. Uh, and, of course, we saw the, the obvious favorites in there. But then, all of a sudden, sneaking into the show is the University of Cincinnati. And, you know, Joe, the, the question is, are they really top four? And do you think this will carry on uh, for the rest of the season? And ultimately, will they make it into the playoffs? So here's what I would say about Cincinnati. I think that their victory versus Notre Dame is looking better and better with each passing week because Notre Dame is a top 10 team, What like even top five, top six. And I think that now that Oregon is lost, they were the other team out there that had the other quote-unquote best win of the season over Ohio State. Now that they lost to Utah and have two losses, they're disqualified. And so you kind of look at Cincinnati as having the best win. You look at them as a team that – you know, has Desmond Ritter, a prolific quarterback, is a dual threat guy. They're undefeated. I just don't think you can vote them out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be tough, but it's totally doable, right? Like, it can be done. And let me give you some ideas. So you have uh, Notre Dame sitting at number five. I, I think I think what's saving Cincinnati is the fact that they have a head-to-head win against Notre Dame. Uh, so in theory, Notre Dame should not jump Cincinnati, but I think Cincinnati's got like the 124th hardest schedule in the country. And so at the end of the day, that's going to be like a boat anchor. But And just the idea that Notre Dame is going to stay at five and not get into the top four, that's really not Notre Dame's MO. Like Notre Dame always finds a way in, even though I feel like they never play a very tough schedule. On the other side, you got Michigan, right, which there's a huge showdown this weekend, uh, Ohio State versus Michigan. If Michigan beats Ohio State, one could argue that they could jump Cincinnati into that fourth spot. But I think the most alarming of all the teams, if I had to pick one, is going to be Oklahoma State. And that's primarily because they have the Big 12 championship that they're going to play in, and they have a matchup with Oklahoma. And so if they win both uh, Oklahoma this coming up weekend and then win that Big 12 championship, well, now you're talking about a team that is uh, have a head-to-head win against um, an Oklahoma squad. So I think the two most alarming, well, there's three really most alarming teams there for Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Michigan, and Ohio, uh, Oklahoma State. Well, two things I want to ask you to kind of build off of those points. First and foremost, who do you like in the game between Michigan and Ohio State on Saturday? So, I actually, it, it, that's a tough call because I originally picked Michigan State to beat Ohio State. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and just admit that, you know, not all of my takes have been 
as accurate as I would like. Uh, I'm not doing very well in the last few weeks, Joe, so that's scary. But I actually thought Michigan State would beat Ohio State. And, of course, Ohio State destroys Michigan State. And so to answer that question, I'm not sure because I didn't expect Ohio State to be number two in the country. My thought is Ohio State does beat Michigan, but you never know. I'm going to go with Ohio State as well just because history tells us that this is the type of game that Harbaugh usually loses, unfortunately. Ohio State, quote-unquote, has Michigan's number, and C.J. Stroud honestly looks like the Heisman Trophy winner at this point. I think it's either him or Bryce Young, probably C.J. Stroud's to lose at this point. Yeah, I think so as well. Um, And then lastly, I wanted to ask you about the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State Bedlam, Bedlam uh, game coming up this weekend. The interesting thing about that matchup is that if Oklahoma loses, my understanding is the very next weekend, the way the Big 12 works, since they don't have divisional play, those same two teams would have to play each other. Bedlam again for the Big 12 championship. What, what do you make of that? Yeah, I, I, to me, there's more alarming implications, right? Uh, if Oklahoma loses this game, let's forget about this year. Because honestly, at this point, Oklahoma's not playing for a national title. They're playing for momentum to get into the SEC. And so if you see in the next few years, if you see Oklahoma State beat Oklahoma, then turn around and win the Big 12 championship, that means Oklahoma would be something like 7-3. and three. They will have not won the Big 12 Texas is sitting down there at a paltry two and six, and that is the momentum that they're taking into the SEC. And basically, Oklahoma and Texas have lost this historical division they've always been in, the Big 12, right? And now all of a sudden, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State are the ones really leading the pack in that division. And that's just kind of bad juju, Joe, heading into uh, SEC play in the next year or so. Right, absolutely. I would concur with that analysis. I think that that is very well um, articulated. So um, moving on, Matt, first and foremost, I did want to give a shout out to all of our listeners. Thank you guys so much for tuning in for this special uh, Thanksgiving episode, whether you're listening live or you'll uh, listen later on to the recorded podcast. We'll probably play this uh, tomorrow because we normally do our show, of course, on uh, Thursday nights. But with it being Thanksgiving, we'll just play this uh, tomorrow night. So some people probably catch it then as well and special shout out to our friend uh lily see that she's in the chat and i know that that gets matt thinking about his bet well it it just makes me think of how excited i was this weekend to watch aaron Rodgers lose but you know that's that's neither here nor there that was an early christmas present that i'll just kind of carry into thanksgiving uh so so what a way to kick off the holiday season a big loss by aaron Rodgers and the green bay flackers Absolutely. So um, moving on, Matt, I know that there's a lot to talk about as far as what will transpire following um, the end of the college football regular season this weekend. And that is, you know, what's going to happen with some of these uh, head coaching vacancies, whether there will be some other schools that are going to fire their uh, head coach after this weekend. Um, What are your thoughts on uh, some of the openings and candidates for some of these jobs? So it's, it's going to be one of two things, Joe. It's very simple. And the, and the reason we're bringing up this topic here is we saw Hugh Freeze sign a ginormous deal for at Liberty University yesterday. And then, of course, James Franklin, I think, gets locked up for 10 years at Penn State, which I think all in all is a really good move for a, 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 a 
college, a university that's kind of been on the ropes the last few years in terms of just in terms of just leadership. And so I think that was a smart move. But in light of those two guys coming off the market, you know, what's left is retread coaches and then picking some young talent from the NFL. And you, you look you talk about teams like LSU that just need they're on CPR right now. They need help. Florida. Uh, has has uh, cut three different coaches with winning records in the last five or six years. TCU loses its stronghold, Gary Patterson. USC needs help. They're very much like LSU. They're basically irrelevant. Virginia Tech needs some help. And, then, of course, Washington has uh, cut loose of their coach as well. And so, Joe, I think ultimately to fill all these big time uh, – and I also think – let me just toss this in. I think Sarkeesian down at Texas doesn't have very much longer either if he keeps going two and six. So very historic programs, going to be looking for some big-name coaches. Either they choose from retread coaches that have been fired or let go before, or they go pick the young, hot talent in the NFL. Well, I would say a few things to watch um, over the next week. I think pay attention also to the University of Miami, what they do with uh, Manny Diaz. Um, I'm reading reports that – after they play Duke this week, that probably both Duke and Miami will have coaching vacancies. Also expecting a David Cutcliffe to probably step down or, down or retire at Duke. And with the Miami job, that has a lot of implications because I've read reports that Lane Kiffin might be interested in that job, that Mario Cristobal at Oregon will be a top number one target for um, Miami. Um, and then also it's going to be interesting to see Brian Harson is at Auburn, but that's just not really been a good fit. And so I've been told that he may be a candidate for the Washington job. Yeah. You know, Joe, I think the other side of this conversation is basically um, that the SEC destroyed itself, right? So, you know, it went through a time span where the SEC was the hottest thing out and everybody wanted to coach there. But I think what we've seen over the last few years is twofold. It's first it's, why do you want to come coach the SEC? Because after two or three years, you will get fired because of the pressure if you do not basically go undefeated or, or play for a national championship. And the second thing uh, is just how difficult it is. Why do you want to go walk down the SEC path and fight for survival when you can go play in the ACC or, good Lord, even the Big 12 and be relevant in terms of national championships? Yeah, no, that's certainly a, a good question. It's also going to be interesting, you know, we talked about Cincinnati earlier. Their head coach, uh, Luke Fickle, may be a candidate for a lot of these jobs with his 11-0 Cincinnati season. Um, and then also interesting because Cincinnati will, of course, be joining, I think, the Big 12 in the next couple of years. And so moving into a Power 5 conference. So a lot of things to follow this weekend, Matt. And in, in many ways, I feel like these off-season stories with uh, – head coaching vacancies and speculation, that's almost as much fun as the game sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it, it's come to the point where free agency, whether it be with the players or the coaches, is oftentimes more important than what we see on the field or on the court. I mean, let's be honest. When it comes to the NBA trade deadline uh, or, or offseason in the NBA, we usually follow who's getting traded or being you know moved around, shopped around, more than we do the actual regular season. Yeah, it's kind of like off-season baseball, wouldn't you say? Like, really exciting. Yeah, it's like, well, well, yeah, I would say anytime baseball is not being played is really exciting. But, yeah, I mean, the off-season is way more exciting than a regular year. I was trying to see if I could get you to um, take that pitch there. No, no, no. I'm not taking that one, Jeff. 
All right, fair enough. All right, moving on um, to some NFL storylines. We, of course, have NFL football on Thanksgiving Day. Um, what are some of your thoughts on, uh, first and foremost, the matchup with the Raiders at the Cowboys tomorrow afternoon? Uh, so I think it's going to be interesting, right, because Dallas is coming off a big loss uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs, kind of really could have asserted their dominance Kansas City didn't even play that well, and yet Dallas still loses. And so I think uh, this is a bounce-back game for Dallas. The Raiders are a solid team, even though they've had a lot of chaos going on there. Um, you know, I think Dallas needs to win this. I think Dallas is going to win. I feel like there's been a narrative many Thanksgivings over the years where Dallas will win a big Thanksgiving day. I can remember big Thanksgiving day game. Like I can even remember this, Matt, happening in the Tony Romo era where they'll win a big Thanksgiving Day game, they'll look really good, and suddenly everybody's talking about the Cowboys as an NFC contender once again. And so I think the Cowboys bounce back in a big way in prime time at home, coming off that tough uh, outing against the Chiefs, and everything looks good heading into the next week. Yeah, I mean, they need it. You know, Dallas is, is good for America. When Dallas is playing winning football, it's good for everybody. It's good for, uh, you know, TV and, and everything that goes on, uh, uh, sports pundits. So, yeah, I would love to see Dallas win. I think they have a good team, and, you know, they I expect them to make the playoffs in the long run. Well, I think so, and especially with the seven teams now that make the playoffs, the added wild card that we saw last season, that definitely increases their chances. And then additionally, they play in a very weak uh, pedestrian division in the NFC East. It will, though, of course, be interesting to follow the status of Amari Cooper, who did not get to play last week in, Ken uh, in, in uh, Kansas City, that they really missed him uh, in that matchup. The one I'll say about the NFC East, me and you actually watched what I think is the best team in the NFC East. Uh, it's going to be Philadelphia, right? The Eagles last weekend beat the New Orleans Saints against the South New Orleans uh, defense. So, I don't know if Dallas pulls away or if Philadelphia Eagles pull away, but, man, I love what I saw from Philadelphia when they played New Orleans. And with that said, Joe, let's talk a little bit of, I know probably your favorite game besides the Egg Bowl this weekend, it's New Orleans versus Buffalo. Well, you know the pickle that I'm in is that the powers that be decided that it was a great idea to play a Saints game at the same time as the Egg Bowl with Ole Miss and Mississippi State. And I told you before that, objectively speaking, that makes zero sense from a ratings perspective, Matt, because you have a lot of people that live in Mississippi, in Alabama, and across the Southeast that are interested in the outcome of both the Egg Bowl and any New Orleans Saints game. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. From a regional standpoint, it makes no sense why to play both of those big games. And don't get me wrong, Buffalo and New Orleans is a big game right here, right? It's it's two franchises trying to see, you know, if they're going to be able to get in the playoffs. So both of these guys need a win here just to keep their seasons moving. And so I do think it's a large game uh, for everyone to watch, and it's going to be competing against the Egg Bowl, which is huge down here in the South. Yes. And going back to the Saints-Bills uh, game, you know, these teams only play each other every four years. So this will be the first time since 2013 that the Bills have traveled to New Orleans. That matchup in 2013 did not go very well. For um, Buffalo, this matchup, you know, the side story is, of course, going to be uh, Drew Brees getting honored at halftime. He will also be um, on the color commentary for NBC in this game with um, uh, Mike Tirico. But as far as the play on the field, 
I'm going to be interested to see how uh, Trevor Simeon matches up against uh, Josh Allen. Uh, the Bills are, of course, coming off a loss last week in a tough game. They're looking to bounce back. But I told you before, Matt, in our group text, that if I'm the Saints, especially as you pointed out, with all the money you're throwing at Taysom Hill, at some point you just got to roll the dice and play Taysom Hill. You're in the midst of a three-game losing streak. You really have nothing to lose at this point by starting him at quarterback. And in many ways, I think he could provide the Saints the spark plug that they most desperately need. Yeah, and you know, Joe, you have to read in between the lines. I don't believe in ironies in this world, right? There's a reason why yesterday they paid Taysom Hill such a big amount of money or potentially a large sum of money in lieu of a loss at Philadelphia. If you think it's because he's proven himself that he's this great player that deserves the money, let me read you his statistics. It'll be very quick, okay? Right now, he is 7-for-8 passing for 56 yards, no touchdowns, one interception. He has touched and or run the ball 20 times for 100 yards and three touchdowns, right? So, I mean, if you think that is worth 90, $95 million, you're crazy. What I would say is they must think that he is going to become the next quarterback, right? There has to be some writing on the wall of why they gave him that, that money yesterday. So my thought was they're not happy with what's going on with Trevor Simeon. I'm not saying he's a bad backup. I'm saying he is not a starting quarterback. And so maybe this opens the door, the money and the situation that Taysom Hill. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that Trevor Simeon's not a bad backup. I think he needs to be demoted to backup and let uh, Taysom Hill start the game. I mean, Hill last year, when Breeze was injured for four games, he went 3-1 and one as the starter. So he's won games in the NFL. He's not a bad passer. You know, he's more um, known for his track record as a runner and that Swiss Army knife of an athlete that he is. You know, he plays on special teams sometimes. He can block um, at tight end from time to time. But he's really a very underrated passer, and so I definitely would like to see him get out there. Yeah, I think it's the right move. At least try him. I know he's prone to injury, but it's 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 worth a shot for sure, Joe. The last game I'd love to talk about in terms of the NFL, to me, is a big one right here. Los Angeles Rams at Green Bay. And, Joe, the reason why this is so important, okay, I wouldn't bring it up otherwise to say that when Green Bay loses to the Rams, now notice how I worded that, when they lose, they will have lost three of four games, all right? It should be four of five because they should not have beat the Cardinals with that last-second play, and then they roll into a rivalry matchup against Chicago. So there's potential here to possibly lose four out of five games they piggyback that with the Ravens a week later. We're on a roll all of a sudden, Joe. We're losing five out of six. I love the way this is shaping up for the Green Bay Packers. Okay, and you so you're liking the Rams even at Lambeau Field, you know, the side of their playoff loss last year in the divisional round against Aaron Rodgers and these Packers. Yes, I love any team that does not have Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. Okay. Well, here's what I'll say. I mean, the Rams have their own troubles, Matt. I mean, this is like a super team on paper, but anything but that on the field. And so I'm really concerned about the Rams right now. I think the Robert Woods injury is just something that people aren't paying enough attention to. That really hurts their depth at wide receiver. Not sure how OBJ is going to incorporate into this offense. You know, we talked about it. I think there were better landing spots for him. You know, I know you mentioned Green Bay is a better landing spot for him than L.A., and so I'm just not uh, sold on Matthew Stafford being able to go to Lambeau and win. 
I mean, Matt, when he was with the Lions, this was a house of horrors for him. I think he won maybe one matchup, maybe two matchups in 12 years there. So I, I just don't see this happening. Wow. Great stat there, Joe. That is a great stat. Look, I don't love it, okay? Like, you know my feelings on Matthew Stafford. I think he's very overrated. The scare I have, it, I kind of mimic what you're saying about Robert Woods. So I don't like the fact that the, fact that the Rams lost Robert Woods. The big one to me is the OBJ thing. And I always stand on the side of OBJ is not washed. But what OBJ does, he slows down an offense. I don't care who you are because it's almost like the offensive coordinator and the head coaches sit back and try to scheme up ways to get him open and they forget about the rest of the offense. And so I like OBJ. I think he's a very potent weapon. But for some reason, he has a debilitating effect on offenses, and I don't think it has anything to do with him. I think it's about how can we best use him, and they get preoccupied with that. And they shouldn't, right? They should just see him as when he gets open, we will, we know we have a guy we can count on. And so I am worried from that regards because, I, you know, the Rams are kind of stalling right now. But at the end of the day, I think they can get a big win in Lambeau Field. I think Matt Stafford shakes it off, you know, he – he kind of slays that demon, and that demon is is Aaron Rodgers. I'll go ahead and put that out there. It certainly would be a statement win. I mean, this would be a win that could really galvanize the Rams the rest of the season. You know, they're going to have to win a lot of games because the danger for them now is, you know, with the Cardinals having such a surprisingly good season out of nowhere with Kyler Murray, they're positioned as a wild card team in the NFC. So they'd have to go and win three games conceivably on the road to make it to the Super Bowl. So really no margin for error at this point if you're L.A. Yeah, and, and they have a tough slide, right? So after they get through the Packers, if they get through the Packers, they follow it up with Cardinals, Seahawks, Vikings, Ravens, and 49ers. Ooh. Not exactly the family-friendly schedule, if you know what I'm saying. That's a tough one. Yeah, my goodness, that that's even tougher than I would have expected. So you like the Pack, you like the Rams, though. I like the Packers in this matchup. We'll see how it goes down on Sunday. All right, Joe. Well, let's let's do this because we forgot, and then I know we have to get out of here pretty soon. What is your prediction for the Egg Bowl? We did not get to talk about that. Okay, so the concern for the Egg Bowl is, you know, full disclosure. I'm obviously an Ole Miss fan, so I'm going to probably look at things, you know, in a precautionary state for Ole Miss, just because I, I get nervous about these kind of matchups. But Mississippi State right now and their quarterback uh, Will Rogers is just playing out of his mind. He's completing, Matt, 76% of his passes on the season. He's broken records that Dak Prescott had at Mississippi State for passing touchdowns and passing yards. And what's also interesting that I think a lot of people don't know is he went to the same high school Will Rogers did that Gardner Minshew went to in Brandon, Mississippi. And so that's kind of the Mike Leach connection and how he's worked wonders in the collegiate game with both of these players. And so I'm really concerned about Ole Miss going into this matchup. I know they have Matt Corral and a slew of weapons, but they're kind of going in banged up. And so I think that the line on this game is pretty accurate. The last time I checked, Mississippi State was favored by 1.5. I think that's probably about accurate. I like uh, Mississippi State to probably win this game by a slim margin. Yeah, you know, the, the funny thing about the SEC this year, it's such a toss-up, right? Like, you would think, oh, this team is going to run the table. But if you look at the schedules, they're all linked, right? Like, let me give you an example. Ole Miss just lost to Auburn a few weeks ago. Mississippi State actually beat Auburn, right? And you can see that all throughout the SEC where you're like, okay, well, this team beat this team, so they should win, right? 
But on the flip side, what you come to see if you really look at the schedules is it really is anyone's conference, okay? And besides, of course, Alabama being at the top, a lot of teams have beaten teams they shouldn't have, such as A&M beating Alabama. And so in this regard, I think you're right. I think Mississippi State has a good chance, okay? They have a pretty good resume. They have a quarterback that's played lights out. On the other side, you have a number nine team, Ole Miss, that should not have lost to Auburn and arguably should not have been had been beaten the way that they, they lost to Alabama. And so I think Ole Miss is a powerhouse. However, Mississippi State, uncharacteristically, is playing fantastic football. So I, I can't make a prediction here. Here's what I know, Joe. I'm going to watch it, and I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Well, I think it's just going to be otherworldly. I think that out of the Egg Bowls I've seen through the years, this may be the best installment of that series. I would tell you know our fans that are listening that maybe or don't watch college football as much, don't watch Ole Miss or Mississippi State football as much, you, as much, you definitely want to tune into this game tomorrow night at 6.30 Central Time on ESPN because you have Ole Miss with a lot to play for. If they win, they would get to 10 wins uh, this year in the regular season, and they would still have a chance at one of those big bowl games like the Sugar Bowl or the Peach Bowl. And then if you're Mississippi State, you know, you're playing to kind of be the spoiler here and get to eight and four, which would be a very surprisingly solid season for Mike Leach. Yeah, my thought there is just you're spot on, Joe. I think Ole Miss has everything to lose, right? They're second in the West right now. Mississippi State's third in the West. This is an at-home rivalry in the state of Mississippi. Ole Miss, the big brother. Mississippi State, the little brother. Uh, Ole Miss is number nine. Uh, Mississippi State unranked right now. If Ole Miss loses this, it really kind of hurts the perception of Lane Kiffin there, right? Because they will have lost to number one Alabama, number 18 Auburn, and now losing to an, an unranked Mississippi State team. So I think more than anything, Lane Kiffin needs this win to assert dominance in the state of Mississippi and then really kind of finish the year on a strong note saying, okay, we're relevant. Ole Miss is back in the top three in the entire SEC. Right, and it would be a big thing for the program to get to 10 wins in the regular season. That's something, it's my understanding, that's never happened in school history, not even in the days of Archie Manning and Eli Manning. And so that would definitely be saying something Something if they get to 10-2. and two. Um, Ironically, I will actually be in Starkville, Mississippi, where Mississippi State University is located tomorrow for Thanksgiving. It's not Christmas, it's Thanksgiving. I was uh, misspoke earlier. And so um, I will be there, but not going to the game. I had an aunt and uncle who live in Starkville, Mississippi. So we'll be having Thanksgiving uh, lunch there before the game. And so, Matt, that got me thinking about a fun kind of food topic to close the show today about, you know, we obviously are all going to eat Thanksgiving uh, dinner tomorrow, Thanksgiving lunch, but leftovers will be in store for like Friday or for the weekend. And so, Matt, I want to ask you, what are some of your favorite leftovers, either, either from like Thanksgiving dinner or just leftovers in general that are your go-to? You know, Joe, I, look, I'll get to the leftovers, man. I'll get to that. But again, I'm not going to let you bring this up and walk away from it and quote-unquote bury the lead here. You're at the most important game in, in Ole Miss's schedule all season. You, a quote-unquote Ole Miss fan, ironically is going to be in Starkville, all right, for this game. I don't buy it. The truth is, you're a Mississippi State fan at heart. You're a Benedict Arnold. You're not an Ole Miss guy. You're there to root on your Bulldogs. Don't try to hide. 
I'm as much a Mississippi State fan as you are a Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers fan. Yeah, but ironically, my mom actually did go to Mississippi State. I have family members that went there, but we're kind of a house divided because we also have several of us that uh, went to Ole Miss as well. And so I'm, I'm avoiding the game, though, Matt, because I don't feel good about it, and I don't like hearing the cowbells. I understand the cowboy bells are truly annoying, and, and I don't know anyone that actually understands the relevance of the cowbells at Mississippi State. But hey, we'll keep moving. So leftovers, Joe. Here's the one I thought about, and it's not necessarily going to be applicable to Thanksgiving. It's applicable to where we live, and that's gumbo. If you make a huge pot of gumbo, all right, serve it to family and friends, put it in the refrigerator as leftovers, and come back two days later. That gumbo is going to be even better than it was hot and fresh off the stove. So my number one leftover in life is probably gumbo. Okay. I'm going to go with something, you know, that makes sense for tomorrow, and that is dressing. I think that sometimes cornbread dressing is better the next day because when it comes out of the oven, it can be kind of steaming hot. I can't taste the texture as, as much as I want to. Like, it, it just kind of burns me, and I feel like the next day – the dressing, uh, if you heat it in the microwave or the oven, it, it's really a lot tastier. So, and, and I think that's a good one. So I actually can't wait. I, I was talking to my mom and like the, the signature piece that I was like, you have to make, of course, like I'm not going to make it, you make it. And that is the cornbread dressing because it's my favorite part of Thanksgiving. And we also eat cornbread dressing at Christmas as well. But I bring up gumbo as a general leftover, but Joe, there are plenty of people that make gumbo, at least on Christmas Day. Uh, you don't see it at Thanksgiving, but it is a holiday season food. And a lot of people in the South make gumbo Christmas morning or Christmas Day because, you know, you're, you're enjoying Christmas, you're watching football, and you have this huge pot of gumbo. But I hear you, man. I love cornbread dressing. Uh, probably out of all the Thanksgiving leftovers, it's probably my favorite, too.